0: Welcome to Infinitely Rational, where we discuss the real, eccentric, and complex history of mathematics.
1: Brought to you by Nathematical Expressions.
0: I'm your host, Natalie, the resident math nerd.
1: And I'm Kay, your researcher of weird things.
0: In this episode, we'll answer the following questions. How sure are you that you locked your door this morning? Which came first? Loaded dice or counting cards? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. Okay, so Descartes...
1: I think therefore I am.
0: Correct. He's also the dude who gets all the credit for analytic geometry. He's very famous and
1: respected at the time. Which I have to pause here and say (laughs) I had no idea that Descartes was a mathematician in any way, shape, or form. And I have to tell you that I almost minored in (laughs) philosophy. And I, until this podcast, I had no idea how mathematics and philosophy <laughs> were linked. So I guess I fail my first year of college. Listen, I need to tell you,
0: when we were talking about Descartes and you said, you know, Descartes, the guy who, and on the tip of my my tongue, mm-hmm. I was getting ready to say, yeah, the guy that did the Cartesian coordinate system. <laughs> and then you came out with this
1: I would have given you a blank-eyed stare if that's what you came out with.
0: (laughs) Well, do you think it's, it's, you know, you said philosophy and math, you didn't realize were intertwined, and we Mm -hmm. have another mathematician coming up that is literary Mm -hmm. secret, we'll tell you later, (laughs) but you didn't know that that was mathematical either.
1: No. And so do you think it's, like, horror movies and... um, Oh, oh, you mean, so what you're saying is... Because we've had this conversation mm-hmm. before, because I'm a big horror movie fan, listeners. <laughs> so, yeah, I do kind of think it's that. So so with horror movies, right, there's kind of a stigma attached to horror movies. <laughs> and when there's a good horror movie that comes out, it's like people don't want to say it's a horror <laughs> movie. And so they say it's a psychological thriller, It's a horror movie. (laughs) It's a psychological thriller. It's scary. Mm -hmm. Then it's a horror movie. It's meant to be a horror movie. And so, yeah, I think a similar thing is going on here where it's, no, he is a philosopher. He's not a mathematician, because if we say in any way, shape or form, he is a mathematician to you students, you'll never want to hear anything (laughs) about him again, because you are so, uh, there's such a stigma attached to math. That's the only thing I can believe, because I don't understand why no one would have mentioned this to me. So I'm going to call
0: Descartes and every mathematician from here on out a psychological thriller. Okay. This is the podcast of psychological thrillers. Well,
1: he, he definitely played some psychological games. <laughs> As I've learned, he was he was a bit of a troll. And I'm sure at some point we'll come back around and investigate him some more. But I know for a fact he and Fermat uh-huh. were not friends. Well, you know, this is probably because... Some famous
0: mathematician, and I forget who we'll have to look it up, but they asked Fermat at the time about something that Descartes has done, like a piece of his work. So he work. just stopped him in a hall and said, hey, did you
1: read I that guess, thing by Descartes?
0: Yeah, he's, did you see this? Mm-hmm. And so Fermat, <laughs> through some shade, he says, this, it looks like he's groping about in the shadows, was the exact Term, yes. Salty. Yes. And wow. so I don't know the instances of did he run into it in the hall? Did he, you know, run screaming through hey, he's, Descartes is groping about in the shadows? Because remember, Descartes was really respected, right? Very so either way, Descartes finds out about this. Uh oh. And so yes <laughs> the
1: worst thing that could happen is yes. you badmouth someone behind their back. But does like Fermat even care? Probably not. So anyway, um, Descartes
0: got so mad and he started calling (laughs) Fermat a braggart to others.
1: Oh, a braggart. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to wonder, you know, was it meant for... Is this just two friends who were talking about it and then it got blown (laughs) out of proportion?
0: Like, maybe they were in Fermat's home office and just having this secret conversation and someone was, like, at the door with a cup listening.
1: <laughs> or, or it's another reply, all mistake, you know? <laughs> they send it to one person and they forwarded it all out to everyone. Did you hear what Fermat said about Descartes? Well, I don't think, I think if I remember this part of the research right, the, the friend, the mm-hmm. intermediary who tells Descartes, he didn't like Descartes either. So I wonder if it was just him trying to throw shade at... You you know, I'm not the only one who doesn't like you. (laughs) Fermat doesn't like you at all. And it felt safe because no one liked Fermat. So if he was was going to throw him under the bus, it was all right. (laughs) Super rude, I have to say. This, I mean, so this started a huge war Mm -hmm. between Descartes and Fermat. I honestly... Based on what I've read from Fairmont, mm-hmm. I, I really don't think he cared. I don't think he cared much about what people thought about him in general. Same because he didn't publish. Right. He just, you know, he did his thing. He was like, I'm going to write you a letter. And and people were, I mean, they were pretty open about how they did not like him. And it didn't seem to stop him. Of he never course changed. Not. He didn't have any friends because he had to sign that HR document. This is true. So he's like, it's yeah, all right he's like, If what you else? hate me, haters going to hate. Yeah. And- Come to my court. <laughs> So this was a really dangerous enemy to make because, like you said, Descartes was respected. Mm-hmm. He was not a prince of amateurs. In the mathematical community. And philosophical. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but those see, were I linked. forgot. They were the same thing, so it didn't Psychological matter. thriller. So unfortunately for Fermat, though, mm-hmm. this was kind of crossing the wrong person. So at one point, Fermat mm-hmm. discovers a method for finding tangent lines Mm -hmm. now for those of you who are not mathematically inclined a tangent line is where a straight line touches a curve at just one point on Mm -hmm. a on a graph
0: and so Descartes Basically turned into a troll, and he said, "Oh, really? You think you discovered this method of finding tangent lines?" You're
1: sounding a little like Hypatia, you man. Yes, yes,
0: <laughs> that's exactly how Descartes sounds in my head, and he research so,
1: bears it out. He,
0: <laughs> so he shows up with a random curve, and he says, "Find the tangent of this, you man." <laughs>
1: And my favorite part of this story, because this is all absolutely correct, <laughs> and my favorite part of this story is, so this guy's all salty about what Fermat said, uh-huh. and Fermat comes out with something and says, hey, I, I actually discovered a thing. And, also, I don't care about you. Right, and Descartes says, well, find, you know, apply it to this thing that you'll never apply it to, and Fermat solves it really easily. He goes back <laughs> and he goes, okay, here. Side note on
0: this, my favorite part about the research Mm -hmm. for for Ma Mm -hmm. was that, you know, you explained at the beginning what a tangent line was and all that. And as you were doing the research for this and as we were kind of talking about it, you didn't even realize that you accidentally tripped and fell and taught yourself calculus. Actually, when you mentioned the word
1: calculus, it got me scared (laughs) because (laughs) listeners, I reached out and I said, so the research is saying this. This is how I understand it to be, straight line, touching a curve at one point. Is that correct? And yes, I wasn't sure. I had to have you tell me. For sure, I understood yeah. what that those were. But you taught yourself said.
0: calculus real quick.
1: <laughs> yes, but when you said that, I immediately went panic mode and said, no, calculus, again, <laughs> stigma, right? This is, this is a horror movie, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a psychological thriller. But so, during
0: their argument, you man, um, Descartes actually had other mathematicians weigh in, and he even had them act as referee. Clearly, this was another favorite
1: sport. <laughs> yes we're gonna get our friend to come and play referee in this fight we're having about math, math which was a serious thing and this was this was sort of a gasp did you hear what was going on with everyone knew this wasn't a secret descartes was out there telling everyone i'm sure he wrote it and then went and showed everyone his letter before he went and sent it off to ferma <laughs> So everyone in the mathematical He had community to make sure knew. he
0: had all his peeps behind him, you know, he had to be William
1: Wallace mm-hmm. and to go fight Fermat. But again, right? I- again, the the fun part of this story is so they pull in a referee uh-huh. because Descartes ding, ding, ding. yeah, is telling everyone this guy, this amateur, this amateur, he has no idea what he's doing, and he thinks he solved something. So you come on in, I'm guessing because he couldn't find fault with what Fermat uh-huh. said. And so they bring in a referee to act as impartial judge. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that Fermat was right. And Descartes actually had to admit, that he had validity i just really in my head what i'm imagining right now is Mm -hmm.
0: in this corner and the mic comes down right (laughs) Right. and the guy's like total knockout you know and so (laughs) yes but descartes right (laughs) Right. he said something along the lines after he very grudgingly Mm -hmm. i guess based on the referee admitted that fermat had validity he so grudgingly says Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you would have just explained it clearly to begin with, I wouldn't have even argued about it at all.
1: Yeah. And so this is such a backhanded kind of admittance of, you know, (laughs) failure. So, yeah, he, he does have to say he was right. But he doesn't say my bad. He said he was right. But, you know, if he he kind of had in a in a way cheated, you know, it's (laughs) it's a poke in Fermat's eye because he was an amateur and he didn't Mm -hmm. understand how things were done in the mathematical community. So it's like in your (laughs) lovely analogy there of the knockout. It's, it's like someone got knocked out and then stood up and said, well, yeah, you won. But if, you know, you had not been wearing this outfit, then, you know, these shorts in particular to this boxing match, then you wouldn't have won.
0: But <laughs> well, he remained, you know, for all of that, for all of that, he remained salty. He would write to Fermat and he would tell Fermat, listen, your work is so great. Amazing. And then he would turn around and write to other mathematicians and say... Do you see how his work was incorrect?
1: Look at this noise. so
0: Not only... Yes! And then he would say, not only is he a second-rate mathematician, he's a second-rate thinker as well.
1: Dude!
0: Come talk about groping about
1: in the shadows. He held on... You don't even know... You know, if someone was doing that to me at work, we would have words. <laughs> we wouldn't be writing letters anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, my thing is, Fermat, and again, probably because he didn't care, he's got the written proof
0: that Descartes is telling him how great he is. Right. He doesn't go out and say, actually, that fool, like, look what he said. He's just like, mm, say what you going to say. Well, I'm and, a do me. <laughs> and
1: unfortunately for Fermat, right, the proof wasn't enough. The community had already made... Their decision yeah. because they liked Descartes better and he had more credence at the time, mm-hmm. and he had already. It's one of those things where a rumor has gotten out, and even if the person who started the rumor has to say, you know, it was just a rumor and I lied, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that it's thing too is late. yeah, you can't revoke it. That thing is out there and it's never going to come back. And this followed Fermat for his whole his mm-hmm. I say career, but his whole life really. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a sort of a an Edison Tesla kind of a war. Well, we know how we feel. Yes, maybe we can do Tesla in the future.
0: I want to. I how love him.
1: him. Fun would that be? I'm
0: team Tesla. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Fermat's work on mathematics though was just amazing. In fact, Isaac Newton, who was believed to discover calculus, and there is just, you know, <laughs> the politics of who discovered calculus, whether it was Newton or Leibniz, is another great story great for name. another time. <laughs> Leibniz? Leibniz. <laughs> Those two fought for much of their lives about who discovered calculus. We can talk about that later, So, so are
1: you telling me mm-hmm. this prince of amateurs, this person who wasn't actually a blessed mathematician, Mm-hmm actually inspired not just calculus but but Sir Isaac Newton. Yes. That is pretty yeah. impressive he for actually, an amateur.
0: Newton actually credits Fermat's work on tangents. Wow. So yeah. Oh, Which oh is so the,
1: the part I taught myself. Yes. Wow I feel really also, on level with these people. Yes.
0: You he also <laughs> inspired
1: you. Yes he certainly Posthumously. certainly did. Mm-hmm. Welcome
0: to Beat Fermat, where the math is always right. And now please welcome our host. He's been called Braggart, Prince of Amateurs, that damn Frenchman. But we call him our host. Give a warm round of applause for Fermat. Bonjour, bonjour. Are we ready to do some math? I can do it. Can you? Join us every weekday as we find a new mathematician to challenge Fermat, who will win today. So although Fermat had some serious issues with a lot of mathematicians, Descartes, (laughs) lots of shade going around, yes, yes, and salt, yes. (laughs) one of the things he's most known for is a positive correspondence he had with Blaise Pascal.
1: Yes, and this is another mathematician, an actual mathematician Mm -hmm. at the time. He was associating with a better crowd, I guess, at that point. But I I really like this story of Fermat and Pascal. Mm-hmm. What they ended up doing together was they figured out how to manage risk and probability by tackling this thing known as the unfinished game.
0: I love that because it's kind of like how together you and I unearth these stories and they're there mm-hmm. and they exist, but... You know, we
1: get to discover them together. (laughs) Correct. You tell me about some strange thing you heard about a mathematician, Uh prying it open a little bit, and then I pry it open further (laughs) with research. And you also discover
0: what they wear, except in this instance. Yes.
1: Really, again, Mm -hmm. shoddy historians. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into the unfinished game, I do want to take just a second and pause here to recognize that this is one of those Good relationships that Fermat had in his lifetime, even though they never met, they only corresponded via letter. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't, it wasn't all salt and shade in his life.
0: You know, it's true. He actually offered to meet up with Pascal once mm-hmm. uh, they found out that they were close by. Right. And so he said, I would love to meet you because we've been corresponding about this thing. And also, I think you're cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so... but
1: <laughs> You might be. Let's meet.
0: <laughs> Let's meet. Um, but his Pascal's health was actually so bad at the time. Oh, man, that he couldn't make it. And just, Aww. could you talk about this letter, please? Because I know it meant a lot to you. I
1: Yeah, when I came across this letter, I felt... So good for Fermat. I don't know if he cared at all about <laughs> it. He probably didn't, based on what well, I read he about had him. To probably though,
0: because like he's not. He was going around meeting other people. Say, I would love to meet you.
1: This is true. I don't think he invited a lot of people to come and meet him in because he can't have no friends. Right? No friends, right? Because they might end up in court and he might have to try and convict them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a. Uh, he had all this trouble with all these mathematicians who were kind of jerks to him, and no one wanted. He was Rudolph, right? Like no, no one wanted to accept him and let let him play Join their the reindeer, reindeer games. games. <laughs> so, so Pascal was was different in the fact that. Pascal really respected him. Mm-hmm. In fact, he wrote in this letter when he gets invited to go meet him face to face and he's too ill to do it. Mm-hmm. He explains, hey, I'm I'm really too ill to come and see you or I absolutely would. But he, he goes a step further and he says, you know, I would not allow a man such as you to take one step for a man such as myself. And that's how deeply that's he respected so nice. him. Yeah, he said, I wouldn't even want you to meet me halfway. I would come to you if I were in the health to do it.
0: Man, and you think about what traveling was like at that time. How it's not like right; you're just, it wasn't
1: grabbing an Uber and uh-huh. just <laughs> running around the corner. It was a big deal, and it was a big deal for Fermat because, again, most people did really not respect him. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. But the work that
0: they do together—crazy, yeah—it's actually the foundation of all risk and probability as we know it. You know, you think about weather insurance dna in court it being a 95 percent match and as we got into reading these sources i i know we're going to talk about this book a lot but the Mm -hmm. unfinished game is so amazing it's such a good game yeah (laughs) it's such a good (laughs) book
1: it was a good game too which we'll talk about a little bit but
0: (laughs) but the changing of our mindset we now think of Predictive analytics in stuff like social media, Alexa,
1: all of these Mm -hmm. things
0: as routine. But imagine a time before that happened.
1: Yeah, I hadn't ever really considered that, you know, when that turning point happened. But Mm -hmm. clearly it must have. It wasn't just one of those things where, oh, common sense tells us this now. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case at all. And in fact, there there was so much drama sort of circling this because at the time that they start having this conversation about probability, and they don't even know that's really what they're discussing mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. They're just tackling some new fun math game. They, they're they surrounded by people who believe that only God could predict the future, mm-hmm. that there was no way. We don't know if tomorrow it will be rainy. We don't know what the chance of falling off this thing might be if we get up on top of it. You know, that just wasn't happening at the time. In fact, there are stories about Zeus and Hades and Poseidon rolling dice for the universe. And even though... So we- Hades obviously won. <laughs> right, probably not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, in the, yeah, even in the Christian world, it was God determines all. And frankly even though there were games involved mm-hmm. they were considered games of chance yeah. there were not this was this was completely determined by fate mm-hmm. and nothing else you could not calculate what your odds were in any way shape or form
0: and then so aristotle comes along at this point and he says that there are different types of events you know certain events like that the sun will rise And then we've also, well, yes, uh, I'm just gonna use that as an example, you can come up with a better (laughs) one. But probable events, like it might rain. And then also unpredictable, which is like what you talked about was with alleged Games of Chance.
1: Yeah, so anything besides that, to believe anything other than those sorts of beliefs Mm -hmm. that we just mentioned there it would be considered a form of alchemy or divination mm-hmm. again we're back with the dark arts of mathematics so no one y- had to take their owls right and so this this was they were kind of trucking down a dangerous road mm-hmm. investigating this and people thought they were crazy
0: yeah and you know actually the first the first known attempt for anyone to try to figure out patterns when you're whether it's playing cards or dice or whatever it is but to try mm-hmm. to figure out some of these patterns was actually a bishop around I think the year 960 or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But it was with card and dice games. Mm -hmm. But then the church was like, guys, could you just could you be cool and not do that? (laughs) But then Italian mathematicians actually started to try to figure it out, which was really cool. Well, okay, this brings
1: up a really interesting point that I read. So it's again, right. People were playing games Mm -hmm. of chance, but they had no idea how they worked. (laughs) <laughs> and I just find that to be hilarious. So, for example, in the pyramids, they found dice that were made from from bones, right? So they mm-hmm. had dice games, yeah. And even at that point, they were cheating. They found loaded dice. So I find that really, really interesting. And you know, they they truthfully,
0: it's just because they didn't know the math behind it would help them make those better decisions in the game. But I think too, this is this is kind of cool because. I think and, and again, in the unfinished game, this was a little footnote that I read and it, it just like appealed to me so much because <laughs> if you think about it, where we start as a beginning math student, where we say, hey, um, we're going to learn probability or we're going to learn how to factor, how to add or whatever, mm-hmm. right? whatever math you're learning you don't really get a good grasp of it. Like maybe you could solve equations now, but you can't apply it until after you've had some really deep thoughts and time to process and things like that. So it may not be for another couple of years or whatever it is before you actually truly understand it. As a math professor, I understand math better and better and more and more because I continually
1: teach it to my students, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Well, you know my opinion after reading all this stuff is that we're kind of teaching math backwards that we're going straight for the equations of Mm -hmm. mathematics itself and the numbers without having any understanding of what we're actually doing with it, Mm -hmm. which I think is what you're getting at here. You know, instructors will throw out words like factoring and, but they don't, the students don't understand why they're doing it or, you know, for, and it's not that they have to apply it to the real world. Right. It's just an understanding of why we're trying this in general.
0: And I think too that if I were to go into my class and say, "Throw some dice and figure it out," <laughs> how much more fun would that be for them to come up with the discovery? Because even with with dish, right? We talked about it's the discovery and how fun it is to tell people like after you finally you know look at the book and
1: you get you see a glimpse of it. There's an evil spirit. Yeah. Evil spirits, dice, yes, Yes. do all of that in the math class, and I would have been 100%. I will try and solve that problem, right? You tell me to try and cheat at dice in a math class. (coughs) I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to be a lot more engaged (laughs) than if you say, we're going to work on probability today. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I'm I'm already disinterested. Fun. (laughs) But so
0: not only did they have to work together to figure out all the math behind it, we talked about... That they had to prove, you know, my egg example, that it was going to be true always
1: before it could be accepted. Well, that, and they had to prove it to all these non-believers, mm-hmm. right, who thought they were almost being heretical. Right, yes, In what yes. they're doing. So they really had to be sure yes. about what they were doing.
0: But so the unfinished game is, is it's a fun problem. Let's talk about it. Let's do We have superheroes, so let's, we like superheroes, so let's use a superhero example. Okay,
1: so let's choose Batman and Superman. Cool. Let's say Batman and Superman are, they're in an old minefield, Mm -hmm. okay, and there are mines all over the place, Mm -hmm. and they have to disable this minefield. Like you do. Like you do, of course. It's been on their to-do list a really <laughs> long time. But, the, you know, it's boring work. They really don't want to do it. But it's slow. Feel that. In the Justice Tower or whatever universe <laughs> we're in at the time. So they decide they're going to make a, a game out of it. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they realize that some oh. of the minds explode. On impact. And Mm -hmm. some don't. They're so old, they just fizzle out. Yeah. So they're throwing rocks at them. (laughs) Because I can imagine Superman and Batman (laughs) throwing rocks at mines. (laughs) (laughs) So when a rock hits a mine, it either explodes or it doesn't. Mm -hmm, Sure. Right? Superman bets that the mines will explode upon impact. Mm -hmm. And Batman bets that they won't. And they're playing to best of five. Okay. Okay? So they throw the first three rocks... Mm-hmm. And boom, boom, nothing, fizzle. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: okay, so the score is
1: two one Superman. Go Superman! But then they get a transmission that the city Wait, is pause. X ray eyes. I feel like he's cheating. He might But be. continue anyway.
0: Okay, we're going to <laughs> pretend that he's not cheating and that it is two, a fair one. game. Two, score one, two one Superman. Him. <laughs> But then they get a transmission. City's in danger! No, we need our heroes! Mm-hmm. So, but before they go fly or swing or whatever off to save the day. Mm-hmm. Wait, who would swing? Isn't that Spider-Man? Are no, we in no S- Batman. Well,
1: yeah, probably. Oh, well. Whatever, we're mixing our... Before her.
0: Batman jumps on his in his Batmobile okay. and Superman <laughs> flies or Superman carries Batman, I don't know... <laughs> They need to figure out, because they've only they've only done three out of five, right? Right. So they haven't finished the game. It's mm-hmm. unfinished, if the you will. unfinished game. Yeah. But so they need to figure out how to split the pot of whatever it is that they bet. You know, they need to figure out how to split it. Right. Uh, uh,
1: fairly. Yeah. Fairly. Mm-hmm. So Superman says, okay, well, we'll just split it on the current score. So I'll take the pot two to one. You get one portion of the pot, I'll get two. And let's say Robin, is there, right? He's the sidekick. So he's sitting on the side, I don't know, munching on a Talking candy bar to or something. Yeah he's, yeah, he's flirting, you know? <laughs> but he chimes he in and he says, no, 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 that wouldn't be mathematically right. <laughs> you should not split the pot two, one. So Batman suggests,
0: well, listen, we'll split the pile into five because mm-hmm. we were supposed to have five. And right. so Superman, you're going to get two portions for what you've won. Mm-hmm. I'll get one mm-hmm. and then we'll just split the rest Equally, And so Robin says, also wrong,
1: while the city's burning. Right? Right. The city is in danger this whole time. (laughs) So the question becomes, right, then what's the answer? Because both Mm -hmm. of those things sounded reasonable to me coming in off the street and me (laughs) as a pedestrian. Eavesdropping on this conversation. Watching this going on. Uh, so what does the boy wonder know that they don't? He's, you know, he, he clearly knows something Mm -hmm. that these two don't. So he says that what you have to do is look at all the possible ways the last two minds can go. It's not about the first throws. Mm -hmm. It's about how it plays out and who would have won in the end.
0: Right. And so what can happen with the last two minds? Well, they could both explode. Superman wins. Sure neither could explode, Batman wins. Right. The first could explode and the second could not, in which case Superman still wins. Correct. Or the first could not explode and the second could, in which case Superman wins.
1: And all of these are equally likely Correct. to happen because mm-hmm. it's it's really a 50 50 shot if right. they throw the rock exactly so if we play
0: every scenario out superman actually wins three out of four times of all the possibilities of all of the, the possibilities and batman only wins one of four times so that essentially means superman should get three quarters of the pot and batman should get one fourth of the pot
1: okay so i'm following you but but hold on a second let's say batman pipes mm-hmm. up at this point right yep. and he says but hey your last two the last two ways the rock can go are the same way because one mine is exploding mm-hmm. and one mine isn't so what does it matter whether the first mine explodes and the second one doesn't or the first one you know yeah yeah vice, vice versa so what he's saying is there's not four possible outcomes mm-hmm. there's only three they both explode neither explodes or one explodes and one doesn't. So that means Superman should only get two-thirds of the pot and I should get one-third instead of one-fourth, which is bigger people, by (laughs) the way. (laughs) (laughs) But Robin says wrong. Again. (laughs) Order matters.
0: Uh, You actually have to play out the scenarios to determine whether or not normally the game would have stopped when one player
1: clearly won. And if this is at all confusing to you listeners, trust me, it was for me. And also, it was for Fermat and Pascal and the many, many, many mathematicians before them that had the exact Mm -hmm. same struggle. Because logic seems to suggest one thing, right? Yeah. and, And here's a really interesting
0: implication. Real probability is at odds with our natural intuition. Mm-hmm. For example, I want to talk about something called the birthday paradox. This sounds fun. Yes. Birthday! <laughs> How many randomly selected people do you need to fill a room with in order for there th- to be a better than even, so greater than 50 50 chance that
1: two of them have the same birthday? So we have a room. Mm-hmm. How many people, however big it is, right? However big it is. How many people need to be in the room Mm -hmm. for there to be a better than even chance that two of them share the same birthday? Correct.
0: So the answer people usually give is 183 from all my field research. And that is because there are 365 days in a year and 183 is just over
1: half of that. Right. So you would oh, okay. So that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. You would need all those people in.
0: But it's incorrect.
1: Yes, actually, it is incorrect. (laughs) The answer is actually 23. If you're surprised, so was I. I do not understand how you could have such a small number Mm -hmm. for there to be a better than even chance. But... I'm not going to reveal to you (laughs) the answer because it's kind of like a magic trick and I had to ask the mathematician (laughs) to reveal her secrets and we've now put that on the website. So if you're interested at all in this particular one... You can see the magic trick too. But we're not going to reveal it to everyone because, hey, there might be people who want to work it out for themselves. (laughs) But the point here is that you really need to rely on the actual math and not assumptions because like you said... Mm -hmm. The math itself might not actually be what you first think it should be based on logic.
0: And I'll tell you, you know, thinking about that, we hear all the time about the golden ratio and it's got this, you know, it's the rectangle that is most pleasing to the eye. And Even the,
1: I have heard about it because yes. of art and things like that. And
0: then in doing the research, we discover that it's a lie that... You know, there's no basis for a most pleasing rectangle. It's nor that myth. they use. Yes. And, <laughs> and if you think about what a ratio is, a ratio is, you know, a relationship between two numbers, you're, you're six to two, whatever right, it is. Right. And the golden ratio is like 1.81. I can't, oh gosh, I'm the worst. I can't remember what the golden ratio is. But even so, there's not, they are not two numbers that divide evenly to give you this, this one point. This
1: supposed golden yes. ratio. So,
0: you know, but anyway, the unfinished game, game has a really good explanation of why and also what the golden ratio is so definitely you should check it out
1: but yeah essentially what is going on here is you can't believe everything you read with Mm -hmm. math right Mm -hmm. (laughs) you actually have to work it out for yourself so I came across a really good one in the research and I thought it was really fun Mm -hmm. and it was Diffinetti's game about and please help me say this epistemic epistemic mm-hmm. probability. So can we can we play it? Yes.
0: So Definetti was Italian, and I mentioned that I'm learning Italian, so I'm going to practice my Italian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go for it. Buongiorno, buongiorno. <laughs> Good start. That was, yes, that was Good. me practicing. That's all I wanted to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> what percent certain are you
1: that you locked your door this morning? Can I play? Yes. Okay. So I'm about... sure I locked the door this morning, host.
0: Okay, so I have a jar in my hand with a hundred ping pong balls in it. Getting better. 95 of these balls are red Mm -hmm. and five of them are black. Mm -hmm. So we can pull out a ball and if it's red, you get a million dollars. Woo!
1: This is so much better than deal or no deal. Those are great (laughs) odds.
0: We need some kind of game show (laughs) situation. Okay, or... Or, because there's option one. Okay. Option two. This is like a door number two thing? Yes. Okay. We can go back to your house and check to see if the door is locked. If it is, you get the $1 million. Which would you choose?
1: Huh. So I'm pretty sure I locked Mm -hmm. the door. But I'm not that sure I locked the door. So I would take the jar. So you're not really 95% sure that you... I guess I
0: I guess I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> this is epistemic probability because at some point if we lowered that percentage enough you mm-hmm. should decline picking the ball and that would signal what's called your rational confidence in the locking of the door.
1: Okay, so that makes sense because if you said to me, I don't know, 85, we have 85 red balls, mm-hmm. I would say no, let's go check my door. Mm-hmm. So do I get my million dollars? No. Come on. <laughs> anyway, clearly this isn't meant to be a foolproof way of determining something, but it does help to determine where that percent of confidence is coming from, which, again, is neat. I had never considered <laughs> that. It's just something we say now. Mm-hmm. Right. But I've never stopped and actually thought
0: about it. I am 99.9% sure.
1: Parts of ping pong balls are Yes.
0: But anyway, back to the unfinished game. Pascal and Fermat each came up with a solution for the unfinished game. The Batman, Rob, uh, Batman, Superman Correct. scenario. Yeah, and so Pascal involved his solution involves some really complicated algebra. Very intense. Oh.
1: Do we? We don't have to talk
0: about that. Do I we? will tell you everything. No, just kidding. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, Fermat's though was to list out all of the possible options and count them, kind of like what we just did, where we talked about, you know, the first could explode, the second neither, all of that. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Well, and so I think that that's pretty good because if we we kind of rewind back to Air mm-hmm. we learned that the most beautiful proofs so and mm-hmm. the most beautiful math, right, is the most simple mm-hmm. and clear mm-hmm. so to me coming from the outside for <laughs> example is probably a lot better than that algebraic example which i probably would not be able but there to do again
0: right we if i go to class and i tell my students figure this out mm-hmm. what what's gonna happen what are they gonna of course they're gonna play it out they're gonna try to you know that's how we
1: use math to make sense of the world true but there's a caveat here, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that we know at some point the numbers here, we started really small, right? But at some point here, the numbers can get so large that it would be impossible to do this. Kind of like the Erdish Evil Spirit example, where at some point we just need to punch it in the face or find (laughs) another way to accomplish it. And that's important to note, because the
0: game can become a lot more complicated. Rather than the mines exploding or not exploding, which is just you have two possibilities. It could be dice that they're playing with, right? And you know you have some D&D dice that are like 20-sided, intense, (laughs) Also, rather than two players, it could be three or five or ten. Oh, yeah, that
1: could definitely make the problem a little bit harder. But that is what mathematicians seem to do, Uh I find, is that they start simple, Mm -hmm. as simple as they can get it. And then they take it to the millionth degree (laughs) to see if that principle is still true, which I guess is that kind of that unshakable foundation right right
0: right right. and so what i found man there's this quote that's in the unfinished game that i really like and it says the problem of points is exactly what it was designed to be which is a question of games of chance it's a mathematical puzzle that's relevant to the gambler but it's not yeah but it's not useful in the everyday world and if we think about where we even went with it, this just started because they were having fun. And so, you know, I hate answering the question, why do we fo- like like, when are we going to use this? Why, where's math in the real world and all oh, this? Right. Because- the,
1: the classic question right. everyone asks when studying right. math. Right.
0: And I tell them, I don't know what you're going to do and you don't know either. And the other thing is, if we just play around with it a little bit,
1: who knows where we could go? And that's a really interesting point, is the mathematicians themselves are not looking for any sort of practical answer to something. However, at some point, it's likely that some brilliant new mind mm-hmm. will look at that math and realize that there is an application mm-hmm. for it that we didn't see beforehand. But the point isn't that. The point at the very beginning is that mathematical intrigue. Right, it's what we can do. It's the
0: solving of the riddle. I mean, you think about people, how much are they paying to go to escape rooms because they love they love The, the game. Pub. Yes. The game.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this is, this. I guess this is sort of getting to be a, an unshakable foundation. It's, it's something that we've seen through all the research here. I mean, mm-hmm. just for this particular podcast, I found no less than three mathematicians who said this particular thing about this topic. But even if we go back, Dish said something like this, mm-hmm. and Hypatia, right? You you love this. You're not thinking <laughs> about this highly enough. And Pythagoras and so on. They, they all say the same thing, which is why are you focusing so hard on how you're going to be rewarded for this or how you're going to apply it, right?
0: Right. And, you know, I think that's a really good place for us to stop because the next episode, we're going to talk about arguably one of the things that Fermat is most known for which is his last theorem Mm -hmm. and I think it's a really good segue so join us next time guys for this. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of infinitely irrational. For more fun the research and math behind this episode visit us on the web at www.infinitelyirrational.com This episode was edited by Mathematical Expressions. This episode was written and narrated by Mathematical Expressions and Kay. Research for this episode was compiled by Kay. See you next time!